Howdy, howdy, and good morning, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Wake Up to Life with Lauren and Nate, your favorite pro-life morning show. I'm Laura Muzica, President and CEO of Sidewalk Advocates for Life. And I'm Nate Robertson, Vice President of Sidewalk Advocates for Life. And what a great joy it is to be with you again this Friday and each and every Friday as we talk about what's going on in the pro-life world, how we can not only change the laws, but hearts and minds on this most important issue of our times, the cause of life. That's right. Prayer, news, stories, a special interview, tips, prayer. It is all right here, folks. We got it all here at Wake Up to Life with Lauren and Nate. And you can watch in your favorite format or listen in your favorite format. We're here every Friday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Central on Facebook Live and YouTube, as well as now in podcast land. So wherever right. you get your podcasts, you can also listen to us as well. We usually post just a little bit after the show airs live. So if you're like me and you like to go walk your puppy dogs in the evening and put on a good podcast, you now have the option to do that and listen to Lauren and Nate and make it like an evening show or something like that. That's right. <laughs> um, but at this moment, Nate, how is the great state of Florida? How are things on your end? Yeah, it's good. Things are good. Weather is still very, very hot, like it never ends being summer, but it has cooled down a little bit. So it's it's good. Things are good. That's good. Yeah. It is uh, wanting to go slightly cooler here in Dallas. We are still hitting the triple digits. Uh, it's like we didn't get the memo that suddenly, hello, it's pumpkin spice weather. It's supposed to be pumpkin spice <laughs> weather. September. I've already had several pumpkin things. I don't know about you, Nate, but um, well, I get excited. No. Not at my yeah. house yet. No, not at your house. Okay. All right. Well, my husband tried to argue with me the other day that it was too early for pumpkins. And I'm like, it's September. <laughs> it's, you know, all the major stores have their pumpkin stuff out. Not that we're taking cues from corporate America, but right. you know, there you go. All right. Well, uh, before we go any further, we've I'm just so excited to let you know that we've got an action-packed show for you. We've got the best guest to interview that you could possibly ever interview on the face of the planet. When we get to that segment, we'll go ahead and bring that up. There's lots of stuff that's hot right now in the pro-life world. We're going to be discussing that here in a moment after a word of prayer. Uh, victory story tip. Again, we, we've got it all here for you. We're so excited to share with you what is working well in the pro-life, pro-family movement. And uh, yeah, lots of good stuff to share with you today. So let's get rolling. Nate, would you open us with a word of prayer? Absolutely. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this time together. Thank you for what you're doing in the pro-love, pro-life movement. Thank you that we are able to be a part of it. We're just so honored to be used by you in the greatest human rights battle of our time. God, we pray that you would continue to bless our sidewalk advocates and our national team, as well as all of those who are involved in the pregnancy help movement. Um, wherever they are serving. God, I pray that you would continue to open hearts and minds to the issue of life and that you would even this very week, that you would show the miracles that we continue to see on the sidewalk as men and women take the information that we have for them and choose life. God, we just thank you for all that you're doing, all that you'll continue to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Nate. Okay, this is going to be our headline of the week. Normally, we do a couple of stories. We give you a couple of headlines, and we have points of discussion. But this week, because this is just so hot still in the pro-life world, so to speak, uh, we're just going to discuss one today. So after five individuals were convicted under the FACE Act last week, the other four involved in the same incident are in trial this week. So last week, five pro-life individuals 
individuals were convicted under the FACE Act for an incident in 2020 in which they used bike locks, chains, and ropes to blockade a notorious Washington, D.C. late-term abortion facility. This Wednesday, the trial for the other four individuals involved began. There's a very good chance that all nine individuals will soon be sentenced to federal prison for years. Now, today, the day that we were pre-recording the show, Sidewalk Advocates for Life sent out a heartfelt email to everyone in our community, to the wider pro-life movement, and we wanted to share a little bit from our heart about what we're seeing play out in front of us and why this is a pivotal moment for all of us in the pro-life movement. So let me go ahead and share those words with you now. Take just a few minutes to share these words. Again, some of you may not be on our listserv and didn't get a chance to read this email. We're going to post it a few different places, but I really wanted you to hear this from me via podcast or again, via video. Uh, if again, otherwise maybe you don't have a chance to access it. So we said, dear friend of life, we are at a pivotal moment in the pro-life movement. Here's what's been haunting me in prayer. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be as wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Matthew 10, 16. Do you not know that the runners in the stadium all run in the race, but only one wins the prize? Run so as to win. 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Last week, five pro-life individuals were convicted under the FACE Act for an incident in 2020 in which they used bike locks, chains, and ropes to blockade a notorious Washington, D.C. late-term abortion facility. This Wednesday, the trial for the other four individuals involved begins. There's a very good chance that all nine individuals will soon be sentenced to federal prison for years. The small group conducting these law-breaking incidents in the modern era has done so under different names and with slight variations in strategy. However, they tend to enter the abortion facility initially in a help-oriented disposition, and once the mothers refuse their help, switch to a protest disposition, leaving police to arrest them and drag them out of the building. These events can pause abortions for a short period of time, but former workers have told us that typically, this is so important, folks, all women go on to have an abortion that day or reschedule their abortion. Thus far, no mother or preborn ch child has been rescued from abortion while the group has been inside the abortion facility. Meanwhile, the key group behind modern day rescues, progressive anti-abortion uprising, otherwise referred to as POW, is promising more of this and is actively working to recruit while ironically attacking the old Operation Rescue for letting go of this approach in the early 90s once the FACE Act was passed. Last week, we at Sidewalk Advocates for Life released a statement deeply concerned about this aggressive strategy modern day. We understand why people tried peaceful sit-ins in the 80s and 90s, but at the very least, the legal and psychological landscape is very different today. Bottom line, this is not reaching those who we must reach to end abortion. And it's already starting to destroy access to abortion-bound mothers and fathers, for example, in New York, where buffer, buffer zones are getting ready to go up in response to these actions with nothing to show for it. We are sad that anyone who has a heart to end abortion is going to jail instead of abortionists. We pray for those who are now incarcerated. We deeply appreciate their passion. We recognize the FACE Act and buffer zones are bad law. They unnecessarily target pro-life free speech. We already have criminal and civil laws that protect people from inappropriate behavior at an abortion facility and beyond. But if we want to effectively rescue people from abortion, we also can't put our heads in the sand and pretend that these chess pieces aren't on the board. What breaks my heart even more is that some individuals who participated in the rescues of the 80s and 90s 
went to those participating in these incidents modern day and begged them to reconsider. They said, ironically, that they had saved more babies and closed more facilities through legal means when seeking to innovate after the FACE Act was passed. Consider, guys, this is a monumental quote that I'm getting ready to read. I really want you to hear this. Consider this wisdom from Joe Scheidler, known throughout our movement as the godfather of peaceful pro-life activism, who helped invent sidewalk counseling. He shared an invaluable perspective in his memoir before he passed away a couple years ago. He said, it's gratifying to suffer for the unborn, but while we're in jail, children are still dying outside. Few of us can risk months or years of incarceration while we would be better out at the clinics and in the public square educating the public on the horror of abortion. The huge financial penalties that accompany a face violation would be better spent on other pro-life efforts. While the rescue movement drew a great deal of media attention and increase in activist participation, the most effective ways to save lives are still those based on one-on-one interactions. That means everything from sidewalk counseling, working to convert providers, volunteering at a crisis pregnancy center to simple conversations with friends to help them see the value of every human life. The era of mass blockades is over. So if this is true, So this is me again, reflecting on this quote, right? In the email, if this is true, here's the question. And I pose it to all of you. If this isn't saving the most mothers or babies from abortion, what are we doing? Is this for us or for the ones we desperately hope to reach? And if it is truly about saving the most lives and closing the most abortion facilities, why aren't we looking at the research testimony and experience that is telling us how most women turn around choose life, and eventually become pro-life. And this is where I need to take some responsibility and apologize. I think part of this response is because people really don't understand just how effective prayer and peaceful outreach at an abortion facility really is. In a desire for humility, I haven't always talked about the monumental success we've seen here at Sidewalk Advocates for Life. Sure, we report our numbers here and there, but we could do so much better in sharing just how effective modern-day sidewalk advocacy really is. I wish I had told you right away about our one location in the Southeast who oversees two to three abortion facilities at any given time and just reported 504 women who chose life this past year. Or our location in the South who's helped over a dozen abortion workers leave the industry and find Christ. Or talked more about an abortion destination now off the map that closed their abortion facility through prayer, peaceful outreach, and reporting legal violations to our friends at Reprotection, or shared hundreds of other stories. By God's grace, we have seen monumental success. 21,000 lives saved, 87 workers who left the industry, 50 facility closures, and those are just the ones we know about. We have learned from greats like Joe and Ann Scheidler. We continue to learn from research, testimony, and experience. And for the sake of lives and souls, our training and tools will continue to evolve as circumstances demand we be the most effective advocates for life possible. Friends, children are being saved. Women are choosing life. Workers are leaving. Clinics are closing. Many are finding healing and becoming pro-life. The numbers don't lie. Don't go for what's flashy. Go for what works. Keep going. We're making a profound difference in the battle for life.
Join us today by going to sidewalkadvocates.org and learning how you can be part of the greatest human rights movement on earth. There you go. I didn't mean to play story time with that, but I wanted to read that out loud for everyone to hear. You know, we just want to make sure that we're getting this, this message out through every medium because we are at a pivotal moment here in the pro-life movement. Um, we don't want to see young people going to federal prison for a decade with nothing to show for it. That's we right. want to see mothers saved from abortion. We want to see children saved from abortion. We want to see the most abortion facilities shut down. We want to see the most hearts changed and converted and people going, leaving the pro-choice, pro-abortion movement and coming to the pro-life side. And this, the data shows, this is not it. And so what are we doing by giving support to this, participating in this? We need to be unafraid to, to speak out and to step up and to say, this is not moving the needle in the way that we're saying we want to move the needle. And if that's true, if, if it is true that we want to see the most lives saved, the most hearts converted, mothers spared from trauma, abortion facilities shutting down, communities becoming abortion free, if that indeed is our goal, why are we unafraid to have a direct conversation about what is really meeting those goals? And I mean, I, I even wrote somebody this morning, somebody wrote back asking some questions in response to our email. And, you know, I wrote this person back and I just said, show me the numbers, show me the data, show me the baby pictures, show me the baby shower pictures, and I will stand down on this. But if this really is our heart is to see an end to abortion in this country, why are we unafraid to say this isn't working? And it's not worth the risks. And it's actually putting at risk all of the activities that are seeing lives and souls saved on a daily basis. So that's what I put before everybody this morning. Are we unafraid to just say, we love you, we bless you, we don't like that you're in jail, the FACE Act, buffer zones, they're bad law. We can say all those things and we can say, this is not a good idea, modern day. And I think that we've just got to say it and be okay with some people being mad at us. I didn't get into this to be popular. I got into this to see lives and souls saved. And as the day is long, I will stand in this place because I know it's good, right, and true. That when you're at an abortion facility, the first crisis is that a mother is getting ready to walk into that facility and take the life of her child. It is not time for a public statement. It is time to send in an expert negotiator who knows best how to reach that mother. Again, insofar as we know at this point in history, to try to save the life of that baby who's about to die and that mother from decades of trauma. That's our first goal. And then let's worry about a public statement but let's try to save as many of these children and mothers and families as possible first. So Nate, your thoughts. It's so good, Lauren. And, and I'm just so appreciative of your leadership in, in this moment in history. You know, the reality is that we do know what works. We've seen it work time and time again. We recently were able to celebrate even the 50th abortion facility that's closed down 
with an active sidewalk advocate's presence. And we're not the only group that's doing it this way, okay. but we have seen great success. Yeah. And I think that we just do need to stand and we need to reiterate that, yes, these are bad laws. The FACE Act is, is an overreach, right? There are other laws that protect against acts of, of, of these kinds of things at abortion facilities. Buffer zones are bad, right? They're viewpoint discrimination. They're bad. But is it worth the risk? Is it worth sitting in prison for however long that that may be? I, I think that that quote from Joe Scheidler is just so incredible yeah. about wow. what is the most effective thing to do right now? Is it worth it? Yeah. And like you said, what, what are we going to do? What we're going to do at Sidewalk Advocates for Life is we're going to continue to train, equip, and support people to be outside of abortion and abortion referral facilities, having conversations that change our culture. Because the reality is abortion only truly ends one person at a time as hearts and minds are changed. Yeah. And we have to be clear what the most effective method is to see hearts and minds changed. I'm sorry, folks, but but the activities of going into abortion facilities, chaining yourself to, to doors, scaring people who are inside, yeah. I don't see it. I don't see it as effective. What I know is effective is what we've been doing outside on sidewalks across America for now nine plus years. Yeah, yeah. And one thing that I, I want to pick up on that you just said, Nate, I mean, many things uh, that you said were so good, but you know, this isn't just, this isn't about sidewalk advocates for life. Right. Um, we've got other groups that are employing great strategy at an abortion facility and they've got shades of difference from us. And there's still discussion going on about, Hey, is this the best thing to wear? Is this the best thing to say? What am I handing her? What is the best thing to, to hand her in, in that moment of crisis, right? We're still having ongoing testing and discussion over all these things, but what we know today is that a one-on-one -on -one conversation with a mother who's in crisis mode is the best way to do this. It's not blowing in there, even if you have pledged or conspired to be peaceful and doing all sorts of interesting things that she doesn't understand in that moment of crisis. Right. You know, in fact, there's actually, if you look at um, those who are reporting on site on social media, they talk about how some of the abortion workers started to get physically violent with some of those inside. And yes, you can say those people were being persecuted. I get it. But these are the people you're trying to reach. The women, there was a woman who crawled through the window of That's the right. DC facility trying to get her abortion to go around some of these people. How are we ministering to her in that moment of crisis? This woman had received news of a prenatal diagnosis. Did she know about Be Not Afraid? Did she know about prenatal partners for life? Did she know about what was available to her in her crisis moment? Like, it doesn't make it right what she's doing. This is horrible. We all agree. Like, this is an egregious taking of human life. This is a, a mass genocide as far as we're concerned, right? We're in agreement on that. But- Lord have mercy. If, if we're not first concerned with the mother who's walking in there before anything else in regards to us, if we're not fixated on what is most poised to win her right. trust and support, like, what are we doing? And, and that's what I would just pose to everyone is, don't be afraid to just kind of turn to your neighbor and say, I don't think this is it. 
And yes, I, I, I want to address one other thing. You know, some people have said civil disobedience has been an important part of our movement, um, a, an important part of any human rights movement. And I don't disagree with that, right? At given times, specific places, giving a particular legal and psychological landscape, that's true at moments, right? And and they even tried this in the 80s and 90s. They did peaceful sit-ins. I'm not talking about violence that people sometimes misassociated with the old Operation Rescue. But the, the peaceful sit-ins that took place, I understand why they tried it. They tried it. And a lot of the people who participated in the blockades, peaceful blockades of the 80s and 90s, went to some of these people modern day and they said, don't do this. We speak from experience. We saved a lot more babies after the FACE Act was passed or signed into law in 1994 and we were forced to innovate. We saved more babies through prayer, sidewalk counseling, pregnancy resource centers, one-on-one -on -one conversations with our neighbor, right? That's what Joe Scheidler is saying is we did this. We tried it. But this is such a unique battle because the victim is also inside the mother. We're not talking about situations where someone was asserting their rights and they were just getting, you know, pushed out of a particular space and they and they forced their way into that. We're talking about a mother who is uniquely in crisis that has to be reached and the victim is inside of her. And so we have to do everything possible to reach her. So this is just, we've really got to have an intelligent discussion about the differences in some of these situations, right? Now we could go on and on. We've got to cover other things here in the show, but I'm really glad we just kind of had this moment, Nate, to share more of our heart here, really encourage people and just let them know we love everybody. We're not trying to hurt anybody in saying this. Um, we can say we're sad that pro-lifers are in jail instead of abortionists. It's unfair. Face Act, buffer zones are bad law. And this is not the strategy to move the needle because of what the data tells us. That's and that's right. really it. We can be there and it can be okay. That's right. Yeah. So. Thanks so much, Lauren. Yeah. So now Thanks. I think that you have a, a victory story to share with us next. That's right. Okay. You know, pictures worth a thousand words and I believe a video is worth a million words. So we want to introduce you to baby Dakota who was saved through sidewalk advocacy, the Grand Rapids, Michigan abortion facility. Um, those of you listening, uh, by podcast, you won't be able to see her beautiful face, but you can hear Melissa on our national team talking to little Dakota as she's smiling. So we'll play a quick little clip of that. We can see her beautiful face. You are so precious. Yes, Dakota, with your little smile. You are so sweet. Yes, you are. Hello. Nice be baby. Hi, sweet baby. <laughs> you smiled, didn't you? She smiled. So sweet. And Melissa so said sweet. that mom said while she was holding her, I think I needed her more than she needed me. She's so grateful for peaceful, legal, winsome sidewalk advocacy, right? That's what won mom over that day and helped her to choose life for baby Dakota. So again, it never gets old. By God's grace, we've seen more than 20,900 women turn around because somebody met them on a sidewalk outside an abortion or abortion referral facility. And again, to God be the glory, great things he's doing. There you go. Absolutely. Such an incredible story. Just another example 
of how incredible, um, you know, the, the fruit is of sidewalk advocacy and what we get to continue to be a part of. So I want to just give you guys a tip today regarding appropriate dress for the sidewalk. You know, we talk a lot about being on the sidewalk, the training that we offer and different things about how we go about doing sidewalk advocacy. And one of those things that's really important is appropriate dress. What does it mean like, or what does it, what does it mean to be on the sidewalk and be um, dressed in a way that is the most approachable, right? And that really works on the sidewalk. What we would encourage you to continue to think about as you're getting ready for the sidewalk is to be professional meets friend next door, right? So what does that mean? Well, not so dressed up that, you know, it maybe is, looks unapproachable from, you know, being in a full suit and tie or, or really, you know, maybe in your Sunday best, but also not being, you know, maybe in your gym clothes or, or what you hang out at home in, right? You want to look professional, but you want to look approachable. And we want to make sure that we do that because we want to break down every barrier that we can just by the way that we look. We always talk about being equipped with a smile. That's a part of your dress, you know, your dress code for the sidewalk. Being equipped with a wave, just inviting somebody in, letting them know that you would love to speak with them. And being dressed where you can show them that you are, you know, you're a friend to them, but you're also, you know, professional friend next door so that they know that you are there to help them, to serve them, to provide them with information that they need. Yes, they need it. It's not just information that we want to give them. It's information that they need. And the last thing I'll say about appropriate dress is wearing a safety reflector vest is a great tool to make sure that you say you stay safe, especially if you're by a driveway or by a busy street, as well as so that people can see you better. So we encourage you to be friend next door, professionally dressed with a, a reflector vest to make sure that you are approachable, you are seen, you are safe with your smile and your wave. And you know, when you do that, what begins to happen is that the barriers fall down. And women and men, as they come to the facility, they are immediately losing the idea of any anything called a protester because you don't look like a protester. You're also not acting like a protester because you're being calm and because you're approaching them with love and kindness and with words, just inviting them into conversation. All of this is what it means to be appropriately dressed for the sidewalk, being ready for, ready for action as you are taking steps to talk to men and women as they're going in and out of facilities. So there's my tip for today, being appropriately dressed for the sidewalk. Awesome. Love it. Really important, right? Yeah. It all goes to approachability. And uh, we don't want to look homeless. We don't want to look unapproachable because we're dressed up so much. We got to find that happy medium. So that's great. Yeah, Thanks, that's right. Nate. Okay. Um, I don't know if we need a drum roll this week, uh, but <laughs> we figured since we are now sharing this show in podcast format, that it would be a good opportunity to pause and actually for Nate and I to ask one another a question to interview each other. So we both get to ask each other a, at least one question of, of okay. choice. And, uh, the rule is you have to answer whatever question is asked of you. And you, you can't pass or anything like that. <clears throat> and let's see, uh, what are the other roles? Um, no, that's that's a good role, don't you think, Nate? 
I don't know. Sure. I'm always <laughs> a little apprehensive. I never know what is going to come out of Lauren's mouth oh. and how long it's going to take me to get a good answer for it. I'm I'm not that scary. <laughs> I never know what's going to come out of Lauren's mouth. Team calls with her are interesting. No, I'm usually pretty predictable. I'm, I'm pretty predictable within a range, right? So, yeah, okay. Right. Uh, to be fair, I'm going to let you ask the first question. How about cool. that? Cool. Good. Because I was ready to do the first one. So my good. first question for Lauren is, when did you have your first cup of coffee? And when did you realize you were a coffee drinker? <laughs> wow. I thought yeah. it was going to be something really deep, but this no, is actually yeah, a really deep. fun it's question. Fun okay. question. We got to start off easy. Okay. Um, I was always a fluffy coffee girl, meaning like I liked frappuccinos and caramel macchiatos, but like straight up coffee. It wasn't until I think it was the day it was one day or two days before law school. I moved into my new duplex with my new roommates and my roommate asked me, Lauren, would you like a cup of coffee? And not wanting to be rude, I said, sure. So I sat down with her and I had a cup of coffee and I was just drinking this cup of coffee with a little bit of cream in it. And I thought to myself, this is good, actually. <laughs> and then I was hooked. So I don't know that there's been a day that I haven't had a cup of coffee since the day or two before law school. I'd make this big mug and I'd go to my classes every single day. And now I won't tell you how much coffee I have every day. It would not be a good idea. So, but I have a lot in the morning. I love coffee. I love coffee. Great, great, great answer. Of course, law school would be what turns people into real coffee drinkers. Right? <laughs> yeah, I know. Got me through law school. So got me some good grades. So there you go. Um, okay. My question for Nate. Mm, what is your favorite part of working at Sidewalk Advocates for Life and running the programs department specifically? Great See, question. that's not too scary. Yeah, that's not a scary question. Um, my favorite part of working here and running our programs department is really being able to continually connect with people who are passionate, who, who really want and need the guidance that we're able to provide because of this comprehensive program, right? I mean, mm. that's what is so key about what we offer here at Sidewalk Advocates for Life and what the programs department does. You know, being able to serve local leaders literally from coast to coast and even outside of the U.S. is exactly what we do each and every day and what we love doing. We love it when the light bulb turns on, when somebody is like, yeah, I, I know what to do, but help me strategize this situation, right? And when we talk through that situation, that scenario that they're going through, and then it's like, yeah, let's do this. And the light bulb goes off for them of exactly what they can do to conquer the challenges before them. I love the strategy. I love being able to show them how effective this can be, even when they're up against something that feels like it's so challenging for them. And I think, you know, recently uh, I had a, another, you know, call with some of our leaders and Linda was there with me because Linda advises the Southeast. And these leaders, as we were talking about some ideas about mobile clinics and how to make sure that we're resourcing women the best we can in these abortion restricted states, especially the states that have like a heartbeat law and just talking through some ideas, some tips, some strategies, and them getting so excited about what they could try next to build a stronger culture of life in their own community. 
I love that. That's mm -hmm. what I love about what we do. That's so awesome. That's a great answer. Great answer. Okay. Great answer. Um, did we do it? Do we have time for one more? What do you think? Um, we should make time for one more. You need, okay. a, you need a real question since I gave you a softball question. Earlier. All right. What's your, okay. So let's see. Um, and I'll give you a softball to end. How about that? Okay. So I'm going to pull a question that we had from Jeremy, um, on one of our previous shows that I don't think we answered. So okay. what, what are the primary needs and the core fellowship for, um, abortion survivors, what experiences can you share? Ooh, like my perception of what abortion survivors need from the movement. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's a, that's a deep question. Um, I think the biggest thing that I have, have noted, and again, for those of you that may not be familiar with the term abortion survivors, we're talking about the population of folks, of course, that survived an abortion procedure like Melissa Odin or Claire Colwell. And now there's this whole population of individuals who have survived the abortion pill. Maybe their parents have attempted abortion pill rescue. And so the abortion survivors network is actually positioning themselves. They're getting ready to receive uh, a lot of individuals who, you know, may be informed by their parents later, hey, we attempted an, an abortion on you. We we went to have it reversed, right? And and there's going to be feelings around that and some things to process, right? Um, I think the biggest thing is really, I, I don't know how to put it other than to say that we really hear them, that we really hear their unique perspective. You know, I, I had a moment I've had moments in the battle where I've said to myself, gosh, it would be so great if people could hear from the baby, not just hear from the mom, hear from the dad, hear from the, and then it, it's like moments where I've thought that I was like, wait a second, we, we do. Like, if you hear the, the, the amazing testimony of Gianna Jessen, who, you know, was burned alive in her mother's womb in the seventies because of a saline abortion. And she lived to tell about it, right? She was left to die, I believe, but a nurse interceded on her behalf. And now she struggles with cerebral palsy. She calls it her gift. She says she uses it all the time. God uses it to her advantage. Um, that's what God does. Right. And, you know, you look at some of these other abortion survivors that in some cases have sustained some, some physical effects from the abortion, um, but, you know, definitely have had some things to process over the idea that, you know, they survived uh, this procedure that in the vast majority of cases takes the life of the child. And so I think it's just really giving them uh, our listening ear and the platform that they're deserving of to really speak out about this. Um, and, you know, they have been such an instrument of healing, too. I know that there's been women that have gone through an abortion procedure and almost felt like hearing from Melissa was so healing for them to hear her offer words of forgiveness. Not that it's hers to dole out necessarily, that's God's, but that God has used them to speak words of peace and forgiveness into their lives as they heal. So that's what comes to mind. But so good. Yeah. Okay. Now, now after that, I'm going to throw you a softball question, right? <laughs> Ooh, deep stuff. Okay. Um, Nate. Why are dogs the superior animal? And tell us about your dog, Sabin, and why he's not as awesome as my three dogs, but he's still awesome. 
<laughs> wow. Okay. I'm going to make all of the cat lovers hate me today. Um, <laughs> dogs are superior because they are, I don't know. I just think dogs are more cuddly than cats are. Mm. Dog, dogs want your affection. Dogs mm. want to be with you. Dogs enjoy being with their people. They enjoy, you know, spending time, depending on what kind of dog you have, spending time playing outside in different avenues. One of my son's um, friend's dog even like loves jumping in and out of the swimming pool and like catching things that they're throwing to him. I wish Saban did that, but mine doesn't do that. But I'll say lastly about why dogs are superior is because they're moral creatures. They, they love the attention. They love being with their people. And, and they, they just really enjoy the interaction. I think cats don't seem to do that as much. <laughs> so they like to be by themselves. But Sabin, why Sabin is great, though Lauren would say not as good as her dogs. Um, he is a Siberian Husky. He's a red and white, so he's more tannish than the gray and white ones. And he just really loves to be with, with me, with us. Um, we just Aww. really love him as our pet. He has to live forever. He loves taking walks and, you know, he'll play with the ball a little bit, but he doesn't really play with the ball very long. And recently, Reese, our three-year-old, has been calling him more and more my puppy. He hasn't quite Aww. figured out how to say Saban yet. So he just all the time is saying, my puppy, where's my puppy? Where's my puppy? So, Oh, that's so sweet. I love cool. that. Yeah. I'm very pro dog. I, I got cats. Well, I mean, I grew up with both, but when I was first married, I got a cat and, uh, I loved our two cats, but then we got a dog and I just fell in love. I was like, mm. <laughs> to the point that you gave your cats away once you got your dog. Well, okay. So in my defense, I know some of you might be like, what? She gave her cats away. I did not just <laughs> dump them in a shelter or anything like that. We actually gave them to friends of friends That's right. and they were so happy to receive them. Like this woman had a cat shrine in her house and she was so excited. So anyways, I love cats. I think they're a lot of fun. They, my cats were, at least one of them was very snuggly and wanted pets all the time. But what I will say is that when I got a dog, I fell in love and then we kept getting dogs. And then I, I realized we couldn't have five animals in the house. So the cats or the dogs had to go and we had a pick. And so it was tough. But you know, when you're changing the litter box at 11 o'clock at night, you're just like, something's got to give, right? Yeah, so I almost went that route right too. Way. You know, you take yeah. the dogs outside, use the bathroom where you got to clean up the cats inside. But I've never oh. personally had a cat, so I didn't have to go through that. Yeah, it's a different, different world, but <laughs> they're still great. I love animals. All right. Well, good. Well, we hope that you feel like you all got to know us a little bit better. So That's there right. you go. An interview with Lauren Nate. That's right. For the show here. All right. Yeah. Devotional time, right? Yeah, it is. So I just wanted to close us out with a verse from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, ver, um, chapter 9, verse 24, which says, Do you not know that the runners in the stadium all run in the race, but only one wins the prize? Run so as to win. You know, we talk around here at Sidewalk Advocates for Life about being victory-minded and really expecting victory all around us and understanding that we're able to stand on this side of the cross, knowing that Christ has won the ultimate victory for us. And I love that this verse, Paul highlights the reality that it's like a race, that we're all running, but that in a stadium, in, in a race, only one person ends up being the winner. 
that we should all be positioning ourselves. We should all be doing what God has called us to as if we are going to win. Don't run this race defeated already. Run the race as though you can be victorious and that you will win. just want to encourage you today that if you're feeling a little beat down, you're feeling a little defeated, that you really meditate on the reality that we can stand from a place of victory because Christ has won the ultimate battle for us and that in the end we win no matter what's going on around us. And that Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, reminds us to run as if we are going to win. I encourage you to read all of um, 1 Corinthians chapter 9 today. Spend some time meditating on that and spend some time in prayer time as you just consider what it means to run as if you are going to win. And with that, if you would, let's pray together before we close out the show. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this time together. Thank you for what you are doing in our lives personally and in all of those around us. We ask that you would continue to use us to bring about more hearts and minds being changed around us and throughout this great nation and beyond as we continue to encourage people on the issue of life. God, we're so grateful for what you have done, and we're so thankful for what we know you will continue to do as we remain faithful. God, I pray that you would continue to help us as a movement and as a culture as we continue to deal with hard issues that are heart issues at their core. May you continue to guide us, lead us, and direct us. We'll continue to give you the glory, the honor, and the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Nate. All right. And thanks as well to all of you for joining us for another episode of Wake Up to Life with Lauren and Nate, your favorite pro-life morning show. Uh, this has been fun. This has been fun. And we another look great one. every single Friday. So thank That's you all. Great for joining us and we look forward to joining you for another episode next week have a great week everybody God have bless. a great week Bye-bye. bye bye